so hello everyone and welcome to A Command of Her Own, a Star Trek podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Caitlin. And I'm your host, Jen. This week we're going to be talking about Context is for Kings, episode three of Star Trek Discovery. And we'll just jump right into our quick, off the top of our head, five-word reaction. I didn't think about this beforehand. <laughs> I did, and I forgot it already. Oh, nice. We should add <laughs> these to our show notes, maybe. Um, yes. You know, mine would probably be that, like, oh, five words. Shoot. That was going to be, like, a paragraph. Okay. A quick paragraph. <laughs> um, just, I guess, hey, it's the cast. That There. I really liked meeting everyone in this one. Mine is, or was, last night anyways, nothing is what it seems. I can yeah. see that. Yep. Now we're going to do a couple of quick announcements. And the first one is just to clear up a little bit of confusion about which Kate and Jen we are. Because there is a whole other podcasting team that is also Kate and Jen. And so just to be clear, this is our podcast, Star Trek Discovery, and we do not do a podcast about Queens of All Trades, nor are we podcasting Chamomile and Clove about a discovery of witches. Although, kudos to them because that Kate spells her name the correct way. The Jen only has one N, unfortunately, but... Shout out to other Kate. It's okay. The other Jen is also awesome. We talk on Twitter, and I've listened to their Queens of All Trades show. So if you want to hear about... They go through some of their diverse hobbies and interests, and they sometimes have guests on talking about their diverse hobbies and interests. So they've done things like talked about ballet, and Irish dance, and roller derby, and orchids, and all sorts of other topics okay cool so yeah it's it's interesting but i have never done ballet or irish dance or roller derby so that's the other jen and kate and i do know star trek (laughs) that's what we do we do star trek (laughs) yes we do star trek well we were just talking too we could do the podcast like this format about a discovery of witches but you would not enjoy that i no, I don't think so. And I don't think we would do it better than they are doing it, probably. so. Although it would be fun to do either one of theirs or one of ours with Kate and Jen and Kate and Jen. <laughs> yes. Also, we're Canadian, and they're American. Oh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> they're good Americans. You would like them, Kate. Trust me. I'm sure I would. I, I should say, in case I include that in the episode, I do have a lot of American friends and family. Yeah, was a joke. Yes. <laughs> okay. They're progressive. They're liberal. And then, um... Should we just get right into it? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So at the beginning of the show, Michael is presenting herself in a certain way. What did you think of that? of her, how she was. In the very intro scenes, I, like, 
I was kind of shocked because it looked like this could be the scene of someone in like our time or any time in history. And I had that reaction throughout the whole show with Michael's interactions with people. I was like, this is very almost chillingly too realistic to our times. She looked very defeated yeah, at the beginning. That's, the, that's what I was going to... Uh, that's exactly the word I was going to use. Mm-hmm. So we'll talk about how she progressed throughout the show a bit. I, I personally think, like, I also thought she seemed very defeated, but disproportionately to what actually happened. Yeah. I almost wish we had started the show here instead of, you know, the, the background on how we got to here, because I think she would be a much more interesting character if we just saw her as defeated and didn't know exactly why. Or, like, through in flashbacks. Yeah, and we just sort of, over the season, as she becomes presumably less defeated and more involved again, learned mm-hmm. what had defeated her in the first place. Mm-hmm. I just think that would have been a more interesting way to present her character journey. Right. But, uh, um... Sorry, you go. The other thing I was going to say was, at the beginning scene, like, the shuttle gets into trouble that they're on. Mm-hmm. And she's just sitting there calmly, like, explaining how they're going to die now. And all the other prisoners freak out and they're trying to, like, get out of their restraints so that they can try and, you know, I don't know, call for help, do whatever. And she's just sitting there like she's resigned to whatever comes her way. Then when later on, when they go on to the disabled ship and there's the creature after them... Suddenly, it's like a, a flip is switched, and she's not she's not defeated anymore. And I'm not sure they did enough to show me her getting from A to B. Yeah, but in that scene, she's trying to save the rest of them. She she did sort of sacrifice herself there at the end, or was willing to. She was, but she wasn't trying. Like she wasn't willing to do that for the prisoners. You know, like, she's the she, of the prisoners, had she gotten free, she would have had the best shot of saving them. Getting, yeah, that's true. And then I was thinking about it, and I was like, well, she does mention to Lorcas about how the shuttle was actually diverted on their uh, course. And so part of me is wondering if she kind of expected them to be saved. So that's the only thing I can think of that would explain that. Like, she wasn't actually resigned to die, but she had noticed, oh, we've, you know, we've changed course. So somebody's looking for us. Yeah. I'm glad they mentioned that, because I thought it was super convenient (laughs) that, oh, we're going to die. Oh, wait, a ship just shows up in all of space. (laughs) Right, they just happen to be there before we can do a distress signal or anything. Um, Yeah. Although it makes me wonder if Lorcas arranged the whole thing. Like, the infection. Maybe not arranged, but like, used it as an experiment. Yeah. Although that... 
Yeah, I know what you mean. I would think even less of Lorca if that was the case, because, like, the shuttle pilot dies. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I'm like, what, he couldn't have, when they got into trouble at first, just been like, it's okay, well... I mean, to be fair, as far as we know, the shuttle pilot dies. Now I'm getting, like, really deep into it, but the ship was right there. Somebody Mm -hmm. may have got her. Fair point. And, I mean, the shuttle does leave afterwards. Presumably there is a pilot. Yeah. So that may have all been a big, like, a fabricated situation. Right. But that, I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe I'm reading way too much into it. Hmm. I don't want to get, like, lost on this. You know what I mean? That was a capital L. Yeah. There is a lot that we're not seeing and a lot of information that the audience isn't getting. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially compared to normal Star Trek shows, because normal Star Trek shows, usually when the captain gets a, an urgent communication, you see them talking. You know, yeah. the captain gets briefed on what happened to the pilot. So. Yeah. And then the other thing this episode really was for was introducing some of the other important crew members. Which I was very excited about. Yeah, yeah. I was not expecting some of them to be the way that they were. And the first one we meet is... um, Oh, I didn't put her on my list. Commander Landry. That's the first other crew member we meet. What were your thoughts on her? You know, I'm going to reserve judgment on her, because I feel like we just don't know yet. Okay. Oh, wait. Okay. Real time here. I was not sober when I watched this episode. I gathered. (laughs) Did we get... So I just don't remember. At the end of the episode, was there like an extra scene with her after everything that showed something? Yeah, at the very end, she's with the captain. Yeah. And he's asking if if they've trans... Or I can't remember if he asks or she just says that it's been transported aboard. Oh, right. They kept the monster. That's what it was. Yes. Yes. Okay, great. Thank you. I was trying to think maybe something had happened at the end that maybe I didn't like her because of that, but she's just following orders. Presumably. Yes. So I guess that's what I think of her. A good soldier who follows orders and so far doesn't really have a mind of her own. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's... I feel like she knows more than some of the other crew members do. Mm-hmm. Because even in the mess hall, um, like she brought them down to the mess hall. Uh, she saw that there was a fight about to start. She stopped one of the other crew members from intervening mm-hmm. and then was like, the captain wants to see you. And I was like, well, he didn't communicate like during that brawl, I'm pretty sure. So this was just like she knew that she could get Burnham out to see the captain. And was going to let them fight. Yeah. And so I feel like she's been doing, like, she probably would have been reporting to the captain what happened and what she saw. And Yeah. So, which is cool. Yeah, so I'm interested to learn more about her and her motivations. I don't feel like she was a full character yet, you know what I mean? I think we just got the soldier. Yes, very much so. I'm interested to see her in some time-off scenes. Mm-hmm. Like, that was one of the cool things that for me about the episode, is that um, the next 
crew member we meet was Cadet Tilly. Mm-hmm. And we get to see her in, like, time off. And same with Saru at the end. You know, we get to sort of see him salting his tea. <laughs> and I know. I was... Maybe he's not my favorite anymore, is all I'm saying about that. Maybe it was a sugar shaker. I don't think so, Jen. I don't think so. Thank you for trying to make me feel better, (laughs) but I don't think so. Okay. Salting his tea. What did you think about her? Did you, uh, other than wanting to see her in her time off? It was hard to get a read on her. Yeah, She was very brusque, and I feel like I'm getting really colored from the other things I've seen her in. Oh, okay. So, because I've seen her in Battlestar Galactica, uh, and also in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And oh, is, I'm, she, is she the actress that's from here? Is she the actress? Yes, that's the one that's from Vancouver. Okay, from, from Vancouver. Okay, cool. Yeah. So I feel like I can't really separate out my feelings on her from those shows yet because I haven't seen enough of her here. Alright, that's fair. I will say I like really liked Anthony Rapp's character just because I really like Anthony Rapp. So, same thing really. Right. And do we want to talk about Anthony Rapp next? Sure, why not? Let's, Let's go over that. Is that I don't know his character's name. That's Lieutenant Stamets. Okay, I was going to ask that, but I Mm. didn't want to be wrong. So you love Anthony Rapp. I love the strong word. I enjoy his work. Okay. And did walk by him one time in Central Park. Yes. This is the first thing I've really seen him in, and I really enjoyed his performance. Yeah. I was expecting something a little different. Because I didn't realize he was a science officer. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I guess I could have figured that out based on the coloring of his uniform. But I hadn't realized that he was sort of like doing the scientific project, which was then co-opted by Starfleet. And uh, I really enjoyed some of his banter and sarcastic comments. Mm -hmm. And just his his overall, uh, the way he was running things and was was enjoyable for me. Yeah, I liked him too. I, I liked... The, this can be said for a lot of the characters, I think. I like how at the beginning... And maybe this even relates back to Burnham f- uh, being defeated at the beginning. Um, mm-hmm. But how when we first met pretty much everyone, they all came across as aggressive and unhelpful and not really not really Starfleet-ish, but then by the end of the episode, they were all kind of working as a team, and you could see that they did have a common goal and wanted to work together. Yeah, though, the common goal is sort of forced on them, and this is kind of jumping the gun for what I wanted to say about the overall episode, but um, that's okay. We'll go there. Um... Because Commander, or not Commander, Captain Lorcas is really, like, his whole context is for kings. Right before that, he says, universal law is for lackeys, which flies in the face of everything of the Federation. Like, the Federation is a very highly principled uh, organization Mm -hmm. where 
you know, that's the whole prime directive. Um, you know, you see this a lot in Picard's speeches, especially where you very much have to take the high road. That is what Starfleet is. And Lorcas, you kind of get the feeling pretty clearly he's a low road kind of guy doing what it takes for the war. And I've what I'm hoping is that between Saru and Burnham and Stamets and Tilly and hopefully some of the other characters, that they help Lorca's arc more towards the principles of the Federation. Okay. See, I guess we're coming at that from just two completely different perspectives. You as a Star Trek fan and me as, mm-hmm. like, I, as much as I really love Captain Picard as a character, I do mm-hmm. think there's, you know... Uh, Okay, because Lorcas is played by what's his face, um, yep. I'm trying to think. Like, Jason only, Isaacs. Jason Isaacs. Uh, the only way I can think of explaining this is a line from Harry Potter. Um, mm-hmm. But basically, when Sirius Black says, "You know, the world doesn't separate into good people and Death Eaters," that so I do think that Captain Lorcas can be a good guy who does believe in all these principles, but doesn't necessarily act on all of them or that sort of thing right it's just very so as a star trek fan and this is a lot of the difficulty that i'm seeing other fans express Mm -hmm. is that this is really good sci-fi and it's a really good story but some of the basic principles of star trek are that it's set in a time where the federation represents these things and the people buy in and that was a lot of the difficulty with deep space nine was that it showed some of the darker side of the federation and starfleet Mm -hmm. which wasn't necessarily supposed to be there now it's more realistic with it there like i think it's almost naive to say that you know in starfleet a hundred percent of the captains are all morally upright people capable of having the same you know inner moral compass as captain picard Mm -hmm. like i think that's kind of you know too high a standard and they they have you know a justice system set up in starfleet so you know that there are problems with all of the crew following all the laws all the time they're not a perfect society they're always striving to be better and that's what they've shown in all the other series is you know sort of the ideal or close to ideal crew and a lot of Star Trek fans are bristling against the fact that this doesn't feel like that. They're showing very much a very imperfect crew. So yeah. I can absolutely understand where Star Trek fans would not be into this, but I am personally very much enjoying it. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I kind of want to see... Because um, I feel like Saru mm-hmm. is... Very Federation. Very Starfleet. He is quickly becoming a fan favorite for some of those reasons. I feel like Burnham, though she maybe made a mistake, also mostly embodies the the principles of the Federation. Like what Saru said, you know, her mutiny aside, she's the smartest officer he's ever worked with. Yeah. Stamets, I feel like he is so passionate about his scientific exploration... And he is so bitter that it's been overtaken by this war effort. 
Yeah. And so I feel like, and Tilly also, I mean, she is this eager, almost stereotypical cadet with stars in her eyes. And she feels very Starfleet. So I feel like I want them together exerting this influence overall on the captain so that maybe, you know, by the end of season one, we're moving more toward that vision. Okay. That's my hope. It might not happen, but... See, the problem with that is, what what then mm-hmm. do they do in season two? Like, Well, yes. That is a good point. But, no, I see where you're coming from there, and mm-hmm. the whole time that you're, like, describing, like, Saru and Tilly especially, I think would mm-hmm. be more interesting, from my personal point of view, to have mm-hmm. their faith in Starfleet just shattered. And then have to... I don't know, find their own motivations and reasons for believing in this in this war and what they're doing. But that's not the Star Trek way, I understand. Yes. And it's it's good story. Yeah. Like that's the thing. That's compelling. Um So it'll be interesting to see how I like a lot of Star Trek fans are loving it. A lot of Star Trek fans are hating it. So it'll be interesting to see if it can still somehow feel like Star Trek. I'd be interested in seeing like a an age graph on who likes it and who doesn't. You know what I mean? I, I, I'm just yeah. very cynical and assume the, the old men are not adapting. Us old folks? You're, you're not old. Well, thank you. I think we're in the same age bracket, so... We're not old. It depends where you're drawing those lines, Kate. Although it also depends on, like, I mean, it might be interesting to see also, like, your level of Star Trek experience. That's, yeah, that's true also. Um, on some Just, lighter, are oh, you? Sorry, one moment. We didn't really talk about Tilly. We sort of skipped over her accidentally. And I okay. did just want to say that. I thought she was going to be really annoying, like, on purpose, you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? But I actually really liked her, and I'm excited to see what her and and Michael together are like, and Mm -hmm. I I liked that they, they didn't have Michael shooting her down every time she spoke, which it looked like they were going to do at the beginning. Yes. So I hope... Yeah, I hope that they have a good friendship. I hope so, too. I was a little worried about her at the beginning. I thought it was a bit too, like, okay, here's the stereotypical, like, super eager, overachiever person. Um, But I think they gave her a little bit more depth than that. I think she's going to be an interesting character to watch unfold. I think she's got a good handle on her own flaws as well like it's not like she doesn't see herself that way Mm -hmm. Um, because at the very beginning I was almost getting a flash to um, a character on Buffy when they go to college and who? Uh, Buffy's roommate? yeah who turns out to be like the demon demon? yeah yeah (laughs) um yeah, that flashed into my head at the very beginning when she comes in. I was like, oh, 
Is she going to turn out to be a shape-shifting alien? I hope not. But no, I think she, I think she'll be good. Um, so two lighter topics I want to talk about. Mm-hmm. One is Michael's hair. And I said in one of the earlier episodes that, like, I'd love to do an entire, like, show about hair in Star Trek. And although that's much more the type of thing that women at Warp might address. Because her hair is starting to grow out in its, like, natural texture. Uh-huh. And I am loving it. I noticed nobody's hair. You noticed nobody's hair? Nope. Okay. Uh, when you okay. mentioned doing an episode on hair, I'd be like, I would be zero help on that one. Okay, well, I noticed it. I loved it. I also liked seeing Tilly's hair at the end when she was, like, off-duty. Mm-hmm. Um, that was such a relaxed scene between her and Michael. Her hair is down, and you can see some personal things that they're unpacking, and they have that conversation with Alice in Wonderland. Yeah, I do. Which yeah. was the other thing I wanted to talk about. Yeah, that was weird. Uh, well, okay, when she was walking through the tunnel, or crawling through the tunnel, and started mm-hmm. quoting Alice in Wonderland, I very much felt like that was extremely out of place, and a very strange thing to do. I do like that they tried to explain it there at the end, but mm-hmm. what? But then I assume you actually want to talk about her mentioning knowing Spock. Um, no. Oh, okay. I was going to talk more about Alice in Wonderland, because I feel like it was, like, almost... They cut a scene out at the beginning that should have been there that was also Alice in Wonderland related. Yes, that would have helped a lot. Like, either when she was, like, on the transport, if she had said, like, a short quote from it there, or, like, when she was brought into Lorcus, or something somewhere in there, just, like, a little line of dialogue from her. Mm -hmm. And then it would have been a nice, like, three-beat sort of, you know, narrative movement to it and i think it would have been easy to work it in to something on the shuttle as they're gonna die or something yeah you know yeah mm-hmm. and i think it would have almost been more interesting dialogue with her and the prisoners if she had said something that they were like you know totally baffled by like rather than some of the dialogue that they did have um so i think the writers could have done better there. Oh, I wanted to ask you about that. Do you think that she, like at one point somebody mentions the amount of people who died that day and that Mm -hmm. everybody blames her, Mm -hmm. which I think is really just the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Like, the Klingons were already there? Like, like that was going to happen whether or not she had mutinied. And I've had a whole bunch of further thoughts because I watched the first two episodes again. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that occurred to me was like, why are the Klingons there? Why is the object there? Is the object there and the Klingons had to go into Federation space for it? Or did they bring it with them to that spot? Either way, like, there's a whole lot of Klingon motivation there that they are clearly, you know, choosing the most provocative route, which is a very Klingon thing to do. Mm Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it was very much going to happen no matter what Michael did. Yeah. So I don't... I mean... I don't understand. 
but I mean, they have news media that reports things a certain way. Yeah, I guess. I guess, yeah, you hear 8,000 people dead and one mutineer and you think, oh, fuck that bitch, but... Well, and especially for people who are already, like, in prison. Like, what are they hearing? Guards talking? You know? But nobody else is happy with her either. Like, Well, no, she's... Because, again, the Federation is supposedly built on these ideals. And mutiny is not among them. That's Although Lorcas also says, you know, this is not a democracy. You know, they are at heart um, a military hierarchy. Yeah. I was just going to say, uh, mutiny is not usually a military good thing. No. And then, did you want to talk about the Spock mention? Um, just that that was interesting. Mm-hmm. And that, um... Well, it sort of kills your theory about him not really knowing about her. Well, that does, true. Yes, kill that theory. But... I think it lends credence to the fact that they're going to have... That they want to have a Spock cameo. Which actually doesn't bother me at all, because I feel like he has the most cameos and things. You know, like, he pops up the most. That's true. I think I said last time that it would bother me. Maybe. (laughs) So I guess... I guess a little bit of both. I commented on some online conversations this week, and that's one of the things I pointed out, is that, like, there is going to be a certain amount of Star Trek tourism to the show. It's it's gonna be there. Yeah, there was also a... Oh my god, no, I know this one. A Tribble on Lorcas's desk. Yes, I remembered it. I yes, was, there was definitely going to say a Furby for a second there. <laughs> <laughs> Which alien creature will Kate forget the name of this week? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got it, though. I remember. You did. You did. You did. Um, yes, there was a Tribble. Um, that was kind of awesome. And, um, there was one part which I, I haven't gone back to rewatch when Lorcas is putting her in the time jump machine thing. Or not the time, the space jump machine. Okay, and for like just a second showing... I was like, whoa, 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 there was time travel? How drunk was I? <laughs> no, there was just, he was showing her, like, the potential of the the new travel technology. And at one part, I thought that he, they flashed to a Romulan world. But I may be misremembering. It may have been a Vulcan or some other place. But that was not... It shouldn't be Romulan. Anyways, maybe somebody out there caught what it was and will tell us. And please feel free to correct us when we have completely forgotten things like this. Um, But yeah. I forget everything, so... Why should not have it have been Romulan? That wasn't a sentence, you know what I mean? Why shouldn't it have been a Romulan world? Yeah. Because it's Star Trek canon in the original series that they meet the Romulans for the first time ever. Like, they encounter a ship, nothing like it's been seen before. They encounter a race called the Romulans. They've No Starfleet vessel has ever encountered before. Okay, gotcha. So, I don't think it was. I think I'm totally mishearing where the place was or that, you know, it's it sounded similar to... A Romulan place, but it wasn't. 
Okay, gotcha. And it happened so fast that I probably am just completely... It was late at night as well. I'd also had wine, so... Gotcha. My my recall may not be the best on that. Was there anything else from the episode that you really wanted to mention? I really did like um, Saru and Michael's interactions. You know how you could tell that there was lost trust, but there was also like an old friendship. Mm-hmm. I really liked that as well. I mean, he did salt his tea, so... He did salt his tea. He shared his blueberries with her. Yes, that's true. I enjoyed, I enjoyed right. their interactions. I think it was well-written. Yes. That was definitely one of the highlights of the show for me. Mm-hmm. And the other thing I will say, uh, criticizing the show... Um, the other Star Trek shows had a lot more science to them. And I, I get that this is a show set in a war and that they might not have time for these things, but I felt like when they went to that downed ship, there would have been more effort, not just on salvaging what equipment was there that was top secret, but also on figuring out what went wrong. Yeah. And... The other thing that was unexplained to me was, okay, they found Klingons on the ship. Klingons aren't likely to run away. So why were the Klingons there? Like, I kind of wanted them to try and piece out the, the timeline of what happened. Because there was no Klingon ship there. When Discovery right. arrived. And, like, we still don't know what exactly happened... And why the Klingons would have just, like, turned around and run away. Um, you know, a big beast on a ship like that would more seem to be, like, a call to the warriors to prove themselves, to slay it. Rather than, you know, there's a big ship, there's a big monster, you know, running around the ship, killing everything, let's run away. Unless they didn't want to fight the Discovery, but that also doesn't seem to make sense to me. I can think of a like a whole bunch of different explanations, but yeah, they should have gone into it. Yeah. A mention of something. And it's one of those things where I think I'm commonly going to be frustrated with this because of the perspective of the show. Like, it's from Michael Burnham's perspective. So we're not seeing a whole bunch of stuff that the captain knows. Like, we're left out of a whole big chunk of things like that. Mm-hmm. And I hope it gets better as she gains the trust of the crew and they can incorporate her more into things. But it seems that there's like a whole aspect of like science exploration, figuring out what's happening that's being taken out of the episodes at least. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I like that they're just sort of focusing on the characters and mm -hmm. sort of the plot. So that if you hadn't brought it up, that wouldn't have bothered me. Okay. I will say, to add to my comparisons, my ongoing comparisons, them exploring the darkened ship with the monster on board was almost exactly like an episode of Firefly. Yes. Like, a specific moment in Firefly that was very similar. Okay. I think I know which episode you're referring to. So I thought that was interesting. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think that was the only other thing I wanted to talk about. Okay, this was my favorite of the episode so far. 
I'm trying to think how I feel about the three altogether. To be fair, this is the one that felt most like a TV show and not like some background information. Yes. Yeah. It feels like we're now into the actual story. I mean, they've got the ship there now. Um, There was a beautiful, like, you know, ship reveal sequence. Um, Anybody who's watched any amount of Star Trek will know that they often try and get in these sweeping shots of the ship. Like, in the Star Trek movies for the original series, they're often, like, at a shipyard. One of them starts off with them doing a ship inspection, and they, like, literally, like, fly by the whole ship, giving you this beautiful view of it. And that's how the intro scene when the ship saved the shuttle, it was very much that kind of a reveal where you get this beautiful, like, sweeping view of the ship. And mm-hmm. I, I love the ship design. They all kind of look the same to me. There are particular fans who get very picky about these things. I will say I, I'm no not more one then. of them. I will say no more. I'm not super picky. I'm always just kind of like, ooh, it's shiny, new, different, slightly, you know. Gotcha. And, and then it's my personal like, oh, do I like the lines of it? Much like I respond to cars. Okay. To be fair, I have the same reaction to cars. They all kind of look the same to me. Oh, there you go. Unless they're exceedingly ugly. Mm-hmm. And I really did like the the sweeping ship view. I always enjoy a sweeping spaceship, good music, you know. It's always nice. It did it did feel like this was more like the beginning of the series. This was yeah. the pilot take two. I kinda wish so. it had been the pilot. I know. I don't know. We would have gotten a lot less Michelle Yeo then, so there's that. Well, I almost wish that they would have done this sort of in a completely different order. Like, started with this episode, gone through, and then made the other two-parter, like, a Christmas special. Or, you know, like, just shown it at a different time. Mm -hmm. And then it would have been, like, this neat kind of extra, right? But the story starts here, and... Yeah. Yeah, that would make so much more sense. Like, it's even called Star Trek Discovery, so obviously it's about this ship and this and these people, and not... Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I, I do wish it had started here. And I mean, when I rewatched, because I rewatched the first two episodes, and I do appreciate how they started off with the Klingons, and how they had to have that scene be before the desert scene. Like, when I rewatched it, I kind of was like, okay, I see why they narratively needed the beats in that order. But I still feel like it was a prologue. Like, even more so, it was a prologue. Mm-hmm. And generally, I dislike prologues. And there was also, I still think they used the flashback a little too heavily. And, you know, would have rather they just package that up as a special, put it in somewhere different. But... I'm sure there were business decisions as well that were pushing them to start there. Okay, so this week, we got our very first listener mail. Yay! From Matthew. Uh, And I'm going to read parts of it here. Um, So he had some questions for us uh, about the first episode. 
When we see the flashback to Sarek, mind melding with Michael, he already seems to know her and be concerned she is injured. I feel like there is more to the story than we know so far. What do you think that story is? Was she already at a Vulcan Education Institute? What was your take on that, Kate? I felt that... Okay, I... So either, yes, she was already at a Vulcan thingy, or Mm -hmm. possibly there was more than one incident. Because it seems to imply that wherever she grew up with her parents, that was attacked by Vulcans, and they killed her parents. Mm -hmm. And that's why she was being fostered by Sarek. Mm -hmm. But then also there was this attack at the Institute. I get the sense from all three episodes what we've seen was that she's gifted and she was at the Institute with her parents. Okay. Like, that's my personal thing. So I think that Sarek did know her beforehand and they were both present for the bombing and were some of the survivors while while her parents didn't survive. So that's my take on it. Yeah, because he did already know her then. Because he he used her name when he found her in the... That's right. So I'm curious to know more about Michael's parents. Because either she was gifted to be already like in a Vulcan educational institute, Mm -hmm. which could be because Sarek refers to her talents going to waste. And they bring up waste and garbage a couple times in this third episode as well, um, which I thought was interesting. But I just thought, isn't there also a scene where she's at the Institute and she's asked a question by their little computer pods about Mm -hmm. a Klingon attack and because of an emotional thing she can't answer? Mm -hmm. I think that's the attack where her parents died. Like, I think that flashback is from when she's already Sarek's ward. And he's overseeing her education at the Vulcan Institute. But I think she was already at the Vulcan Institute before that with her parents. Okay. I can understand why this is very confusing, though. Because, like, Hmm. she's at the Institute being asked about an attack, and then we later on we flash further back to the attack, which is also at the Institute. So, Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's very confusing to me. Mm -hmm. And I should have gone back and looked, because they actually named the Institute in this third episode I think or maybe they named it in the second one anyway yeah I don't know and then Matthew also mentions you know how this plays into some further development with Sarek he says the mind meld across the universe putting strain on Sarek feels like it's an explanation for his degenerative illness by the time we get to the TNG episode Sarek which doesn't need an explanation, since sometimes people's faculties degenerate when they get older. Hopefully the show doesn't do so much information retcon work like that in the future, and can exist on its own. Which, I agree with Matthew. I, like, the topic of why Sarek was chosen in general also came up on one of the sites that I was reading. And they did some good logical work for it, but that was my, one of my first reactions in hearing it with Sarek was like, why was it Sarek? Like, do we need all like this much Star Trek tourism? I, I don't really notice these things. I know, and I, I feel bad for the producers because no matter what they do, they're going to get criticism. Yeah. So 
if they had set it like completely isolated without ties to the other shows. I'm wondering if it would be easier for me to get past some of these comparisons where it's like, well, the other Star Trek captains wouldn't have done that. Or like on the other Star Trek, they would have figured out what happened on that ship. But we're constantly sort of being reminded of Spock and the other shows making it... I don't know if it's making it more difficult for me and other fans or if, you know, they they legitimately should have a little bit of nodding to the existing Star Trek fan core. Yeah, I think I think if there was no Easter eggs or anything like that, people would be upset. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, there's no right way for them to do it. Yeah. Exactly. No matter what choices they make, they're going to be you know, gaining some fans, losing some others. Yeah. So they, they probably just, you know, reconciled themselves to that fact and hopefully are just going to make the show they want to make. Cause I think that's, what's going to be best, you know, not trying to please the fans, but just making the show they want to make. Right. Which I guess sucks for some fans, but I don't know. There's usually, but on how, the- yeah, sorry, you go. Well, I was going to say, it sucks for some fans, but they need to build new fans as well. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, I'm thinking of, like, all the people who are right now in their teens and early 20s. Would they be at all interested in a Star Trek show like they made in the 80s, 90s, 2000s? Probably not. So, some changes have to be made to evolve the show to modern audiences. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I do think, basically just expanding on what you were saying, like the audiences of today aren't going to buy into a utopian society. Yes. Especially set against the current political background that we have. Yeah, that's what I meant, but I Mm -hmm. didn't say it. (laughs) Yeah. It's all good. Um, Although, like, because of the current political background, I definitely read certain scenes with... um, like just a really strong emotional reaction like seeing michael at the beginning with her eyes looking like that and in the interaction between her and lorcas um like they gave they have jason isaacs doing like a slightly southern american accent and even in some of lieutenant stamet's discussion with her there's just all these like it feels like a commentary on America and American history and I also like would this make sense to me because I think Star Trek Mm -hmm. was always very American even though it tries to to be more I guess worldly isn't the term but you know what I mean Mm-hmm. I do think it was always very steeped in American ideals and politics and that sort of thing. Even if even if it was trying to expand them, it was still coming from that place. So it makes sense that this one still is also, even if it is trying to expand them. Right. Yeah. I think we've gotten way off topic from the email. Yes, we did. But that's okay. This is part of what I love about Star Trek, is that there's all these things to discuss and explore. Yeah. So, Kate, the other, one last thing I want to ask you. Mm-hmm. Starfleet and the Federation okay. have always sort of stood for diplomacy 
and exploration. Sure. That's been their mission. Have you gotten that feel from this show? Like, where do you think Discovery is coming in on that? Um, okay, so I feel like you got that feel very briefly at the beginning of the first episode. And then and then it was quickly interrupted by the Klingons. Okay. You know, like, I think that that's why that that horribly written, in my personal opinion, uh, desert scene was important. Because you could see that they were sort of doing a normal Star Trek thing there. But then, or a normal Federation thing. Mm-hmm. But then everything got kind of turned on its head. Everything's been interrupted. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. And I wonder if we're going to get more into that with Lorcas because he has a war injury, he mentions. Mm -hmm. And like the Discovery itself is a science vessel, very much being entirely co-opted by the war. Because, I mean, Discovery wasn't built for the Klingon War. They can't build ships that fast. Yeah. So, I'm wondering if some of the tension will be in the frustration people feel that this war is happening, taking them away from science, exploration, diplomacy. We have already seen a little bit of that from Mm -hmm. Stamets. Mm-hmm. Stamets. Stamets or Stamets? Okay. Stamets. I, I don't really like either of those. It's a weird name. I know. But yeah, I, I hope we get to see more of the sciencey side of the ship, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like, I assume they're working on other things. Yeah, like Saru points out, they can work on 300 and some distinct scientific you know, missions at a time kind of idea. Mm-hmm. So it would be nice to see a little bit more of that. What, what about you? Do you do you miss that feel? Because I, I, it's definitely not really there. But do you mm-hmm. do you mm-hmm. miss it? Do you wish there was more of it? I keep mentally. This is what I do with all shows. Like I'm a very forgiving viewer in that I keep trying to mentally bridge where the show is to where I want it to be. So I will invent backstory and hand wave things to try and keep it on that track, which is why I'm saying like, oh, I hope that they bridge Captain Lorcas over to these ideals and different things like that. And I hope that it's about partly the tension between like the war being disruptive to a society bettering itself, because that would be a strong commentary on modern society. Yeah. Um, so these are all things like, I hope they do this and I would love to see this, um, because it's not really there in the show right now, but do we need that in a show right now? Like, is this not the Star Trek that we want, but the Star Trek that we need to see? I know. Sorry. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um... Uh, yeah, no, I get what you're saying there. And I, I do that too. That's pretty much why I don't, I didn't 
I wasn't bothered by the state of the ship with the Klingons, but like no explanation there. I was just like, well, maybe this happened. Maybe this happened. But um, so I get what you're saying with that. But it'd be interesting to have them address it. I think it would be really interesting from the characters to, to feel how they were interrupted in their lives. Yeah. Shall we do anything else or shall we move on to this week's recommendations? Oh, yeah, I forgot we do that. Um, we can totally work, go on to this week's recommendations. Do you want me to go first? Sure. Okay, so I'm trying to stay away from like just podcast recommendations, but I am going to recommend a podcast this mm-hmm. week, and it's um, a new one that Griffin McElroy and his wife Rachel do, and it's just called Wonderful, and they just talk for an hour about things that make them excited and happy. And oh, it's nice. really, really great. And it, like at one point, they talk about dandelions. And then sometimes they talk about, you know, musical artists, just anything that makes them happy, but like in an excited way. That's cool. For the listeners who might not know who the McElroys are. I assume, I don't know, they have like a podcast empire, so. They do, and they do the gaming one. Um, What's it called? It's my turn to forget things. Gaming? Oh, oh, the Adventure Zone. The Adventure Zone, yes, thank you. Oh my gosh. Um, Which I'm behind on. Okay, so that's like my favorite podcast ever, but when you said gaming, I went, my mind went in a different direction, and I just need to specify that's why I didn't know exactly what you were talking about right away, not because I forgot that they did a Dungeons & Dragons podcast that is literally my life. Yes. It's one of the few podcasts that we both listen to. I think, but I'm really behind. I'm on a mini podcast listening hiatus. And then I didn't even realize you listened at all. Yeah, I started to, and I'm right at the end of their last adventure. And, but I've got, um, I'm taking courses for work. Right. Yes. And I study by making myself audio notes. So I then have to take away podcasts to listen to my notes. That's terrible. I know. It makes me sad. But um, I feel like I've kind of recommended a couple of podcasts sneakily already by mentioning Queens of All Trades and Chamomile and Clove. But I have a different recommendation this week of something to listen to. And it's been a song that I has been out for a little bit. And I've just been in the zone to listen to it almost nonstop lately. And it's the single released by Pink called What About Us? And it's super like upbeat tempo and a great song to sing along to. And so check it out if you haven't heard it yet. Okay, I will. Mm -hmm. And that's our recommendations. So I guess there's nothing left for us to say except goodbye uh you usually do our i know <laughs> don't worry i haven't forgotten that oh okay okay <laughs> like are we just cutting it off here no okay <laughs> no um okay so that's all we have to say for this week thank you for listening if you have questions or comments you want to share if you'd like to know our take on things or ask us more in detail about things or correct us on things, we would love to hear from you. You can email us at 
own at gmail.com or we're also on Twitter at commandofherown. And now we awkwardly both say goodbye. Oh, yep. Goodbye, everyone. See you next week. Yes. Goodbye. Somebody is mowing their lawn, and I want it's, to kill them. In October. It's fucking October. <laughs> Jesus. I can hear it in the background a little bit. What the But it's hell? not too bad. Oh my god, I'm gonna murder that machine. Sorry, she's at the Institute... It's like right out my window, I swear to God.